Everybody feeling good? Yep. Yep. Like real good or just slightly good? Everybody feeling good today? Pretty good? Good. Good. Um, this week, I had the um, opportunity to talk to somebody on the phone for about 35 minutes. Um, and part of that conversation was I have another friend that used to live in Davie County, and he's just a country country guy, you know, Davie County guy. You know there's a difference, right? Like, I'm not making fun. I'm just saying there's, there's a difference. So, so outdoor country um, hunts, fishes. If it's outdoors, he does it. Um, and and just, just that type of rugged, rugged guy, rugged man. And so I, I mentioned it because this guy I was talking to knew him. And I said, it, it's kind of strange to me that he moved to Raleigh. It's almost like a fish out of water because now he's in, in the Raleigh-Durham area. And it's a little different than Davie County. And so, you know, just, just the city life and all that kind of stuff. And I know that my friend comes back here in order to hunt and fish and do all that kind of stuff. But anyway, it's kind of, kind of that. So this guy on the phone um, grew up around Washington, D.C. in the Beltway. And then he moved to Raleigh. Okay, so you need to know that. Because when I was talking about my friend from Davie County that moved to Raleigh, that's the country boy, and, you know, he's really down to earth and all that kind of stuff, this guy on the phone said that he was a country boy too. And then he said, I ride around with a canoe on top of my car and I fish. And I thought to myself, a canoe on a Prius doesn't count. Right Now, I don't know who has the white Prius, so I'm not trying to say anything about a Prius, but if you have a canoe on top of a Prius, you're, I think we can all agree you're not a country person. And now, listen, I'm not, I'm not really either, but I have this concept in my mind, and I fear water, and I think the last boat that I would want to fish in is a canoe. And if you fish in a canoe, I feel like you would rock it. Like, what are you going to catch in a canoe? that you could take home. Am I right? Am I right? At, right? And so I'm thinking through this thing going, you're fishing in a canoe. This doesn't make any sense. The people I know that go fishing have a boat about this big with the engine about this big. <laughs> right? That's the people I know. And you know how they're doing the cars now, like the front end of them up and, and behind? Huh? Carolina squat. They have a name for it, Carolina Squat. Um, the people I know that have boats have been doing that for years. They get on the water, the front end goes up, and, right? So I just, I just thought, oh, that was, was, really, was really funny just to have a little, little deal. It, look, you're not a country boy if you're taking your canoe to your subdivision pond <laughs> and fishing. That's all I'm saying. And I live in a subdivision, so... I'm really talking to me, so as well, because I could not, you know. Anyway, that said, a little, little fun thing this week. If you'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 15, that would be incredible. Leviticus chapter 15, and we're going to read verse 31. This is the last in our series um, on uh, deep weeds. And so Leviticus chapter 15, verse 31 is where we're going to start today. And so this is what it says. 
Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, their dirtiness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. So there's a connection between uncleanness and the tabernacle and being in the presence of God. There, there's something about dirtiness that's not supposed to be a part of you being in the presence of God. And it's not just sin. So we have passages in Scripture that will talk to you about not sinning and how sin has caused us to fall and be in a fallen state. But in these passages, it seems that the majority that is mentioned from chapter 11 to this point in Leviticus is just about normal, everyday type stuff that humans go through. Because what we need to be reminded of is that, yes, there is sin, but we also live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, there are certain things that we have to deal with that's unclean as a result of the curse of sin. They're not necessarily sinful, and Leviticus would tell you that they're not sinful. But it will tell you <clears throat> that if these things happen to you, uh, you are unclean. So what are these things? What are these things that he's talking about? Well, if you turn over to Leviticus chapter 15, verse 1, we can dive into a few of them. And this is what it says. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is a law of his uncleanness for a discharge, whether his body runs with the discharge or his body is blocked up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. And every bed on which the one, the discharge, lies shall be unclean, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever sits on anything on which the one with the discharge has set shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. Now, let me give you an illustration of what this is talking about, and then we'll unpack this a little bit. When um, Aurora was four to five years old, right before she went into kindergarten, she was in the car with me. And uh, she said, Dad, um, the stuff that comes out of me when I go to the bathroom, where does it come from? But she, she wanted to know where that stuff came from. And so I explained to Aurora that when you eat, you eat food and it processes through your body and then it comes out of your body. And she was in the car and, and she was there sitting for a minute and she said, well, it doesn't smell like anything I've ate. <laughs> so this passage of scripture is talking about that sort of thing, except for it's not just talking about that. That is not the only places in your body that discharge happens. Your eyes discharge. Well, mine do. In, in the springtime, I have allergies. You may not have allergies, but I have allergies. And sometimes my eyes, they will drain. Sometimes my eyes are bloodshot. And they're bloodshot pretty bad at times. And it doesn't matter what I take. My eyes will either water or become dry or get bloodshot in the springtime. It just happens because I'm allergic to something that's going on in the world during the spring. Right? It is so bad that when I worked at Center Grove Baptist Church, they made me take a drug test. 
So, you know, there's other reasons besides just bloodshot eyes that I was, you know, so I went, I passed it, and, and, and I was just fine, so I don't want you to think any, anything like that, but I thought that was interesting. So, you know, you can have stuff that comes out of your eyes, right? But that's not the only place, like your nose, right? You, you have people go like this, right? And then like this. Yeah, yeah, they can shake your hand too. Um, you also have people in, well, it didn't matter, people in cars that think they're alone, that think nobody can see in. You know what I mean? I mean, there's, there's stuff. Um, I would rather them do that than text, because at least when they're doing that, their eyes are on the road, right? They do that than text. So stuff comes out of, your, out of here. Um, stuff comes out of your ears. Uh, it, at minimum, you have wax at some level in your ears. You should. So you, you wash the wax out, and you, you try to keep that. You do try to keep that clean, right? I don't look in your ears. I just don't know. You try to keep the wax out of your ears. You know, you clean that. So there's discharges in that way. And then there's what comes out of your mouth, right? And I'm not going to get into that because you might see some of that if I start describing that particular thing. So this passage of Scripture is talking about natural stuff that happens to you that comes out, that is unclean, but not sinful. And it gives you instructions on what to do about it. So verse 7, and whoever touches the body of the one with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And if the one with the discharge spits on someone who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And any saddle on which one with the discharge rides be unclean. And whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries such things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And anyone with the discharge touches without having rinsed his hands in water shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be clean until evening. Now, I don't know about the bathing, but that means that when you go to the bathroom, you should wash your hands. And verse 12, look, Look, ladies and gentlemen, this, the virus hit, and I was shocked at how many people didn't wash your hands in the bathroom. I, I don't even, I can't even comprehend. Anyway, I'm not, that's not what the message is about, but that is in this passage. Um, verse 12, and an earthquake vessel, uh, wait, and an earthenware vessel that one with the discharge, discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. So even if they touch something, um, sneeze, nose, eyes, you touch that vessel, that vessel has to be broken and has to be thrown away. So very, very interesting, very interesting. Um, so what does all of this mean? Well, here's the first thing that it means. God is not only concerned with whether or not you sin or not, he's also concerned with whether or not you're living in an environment that promotes life. And some of this stuff promotes sickness. Some of this stuff is not good for you to breathe in. Some of this stuff should not be around you. Some of this stuff shouldn't be around you. So you, you clean. So one step after that, I would like to say that, that there are boundaries. God is saying that there are boundaries in order to have a life 
that respects the life that he has given you and the life of the people that are around you. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of um, Leviticus chapter 15. You can do that later. But the rest of Leviticus 15 talks about, (laughs) it talks about this time period that is about five to seven days in every month of the year. Where women change. Okay, y'all just need to shake your head because I'm not going to get too far into this. Okay, where women change. And so I hit that and I was like, what in the world does this mean? Well, first, that connects you back to the curse. That's according to the curse. You're going to have pain in childbirth and the whole process of what's inside of you to make the child. And so that's a reminder of that. But the, but the second thing it does is, is kind of interesting. It requires the lady to remove herself from being around people for a little while, to deal with that, and then come back into society. What that means is God has, within his decrees, has given women permission to withdraw themselves from people they care about so that they do not hurt them during that time frame. Okay. You do not know how difficult it is for me to preach this. Okay. But the reminder here is this, that the people that you are around when you're emotional are people too. And you can hurt them if you do not try to figure out how to control those particular emotions. And you can't just say, it's because I'm a woman. You can't say that because to say that is to be selfish. It has to be, I'm going through this and it's really a struggle for me and I'm going to try my best not to hurt the people closest to me. And so this scripture gives women the permission to Retreat to the place where they do not hurt people. But I'm going to tell you this. This is a little bit easier. It also says something to the men. What it says to the men is that your wife is not just something you own. It is not just something for one purpose. Your wife is a person, is a human. So for one week during the month, you take a break. And it's a reminder that she is worth more to you than just that. She is valuable. Now, if you do not believe that women are not looked at as just items and stuff to be purchased, you have not considered the porn industry in this country. You have not considered what they put on TV in front of you to watch, to devalue the value of women in our country. And so this is in scripture to say, hey, yes, we want the lady to take time to herself. And I think it's a great idea. Not because of anything else, but I just think it's great to take time to yourself. But also to remind the guys that this is just not something that you use. This is a person. This is not something that you own. This is somebody that God has created in his image and is also in your image and is equal in his sight to you. Respect her as a person. Come on, church. 
So you can read it later. But that is precisely what that says. And I think that is a beautiful thing. If you're a Christian woman in this room, you need to make sure you don't hurt people. But if you're a Christian man in this room, you need to make sure that you're treating your wife as she is. She is in the image of God, and she is special. Now, you know that I, I make fun of everything, right? Guys, girls, and everything like this. But I have an amazing amount of respect for my wife and for women in this room. They can do things that we can't. And we cannot allow them to become just items. They are people. If you are involved in watching something that you shouldn't watch, that's rewiring you to, to think of, of, of sex and that whole thing in a different way, you need to leave that alone and get back to the place where women are people and treat them as such. Amen? Amen. All right. So there are boundaries. There are boundaries, and those boundaries give you freedom. Those boundaries give you freedom. We don't often think of boundaries as, as giving us freedom, but oh my goodness, the, the freedom and the respect and the love that comes from that boundary is absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. And, and the quality of life that improves as a result of just that boundary is absolutely amazing. And if you go over the boundary in any way, you're going into slavery. You're, you're living a life that isn't designed by God for you to live. And the boundaries are in place so that you can live life abundantly. As hard as this truth is for me to get out to you in this passage, it, it, is, it is just an amazing, amazing truth. So let's continue to go, okay? Moving on. Next, from this passage, we see that some things should not be around other things. <laughs> yes, I am laughing. Some things should not be around other things. Um, I have walked into a McDonald's before and turned right around and left I'm not picking on McDonald's. I'm just saying there's some McDonald's that you walk into, and for some reason, they have removed the wall of separation between the kitchen and the customer. And so you can see right into the customer. I used to work for McDonald's when I was a teenager, so don't, don't think it. But you, you walk in, and there's just sometimes that it is so nasty. There's just some things that shouldn't be around. Is everybody following me? And this passage of Scripture teaches us that. Like, like the dirt and stuff, so you, so you lose. Look, my prayer is that Chick-fil-A will never take down the wall. <laughs> I will not be able to handle it. I will walk into Chick-fil-A and see something, and it's God's chicken, and I won't be able to eat it. it it'll, it'll just be horrible. I was in a restaurant. I know a couple of people that own them in, in Winston, and a guy came out and said, hey, do you want to go, go see you know, what's in the back room and how we how the magic happens. And I said, no, <laughs> because I would go back and look, oh, oh, and never be able to eat there again. I would just rather be ignorant and enjoy the chicken. But McDonald's seems to want you to see it all. See, there's a difference between seeing the kitchen at McDonald's and seeing the kitchen at Firebirds. There's also a difference, and I'm not trying to say anything about cooks. There's a difference in the chef that's flipping the burgers at McDonald's and the one that's cooking at Firebirds. It's just a whole different level. It's just a fact of life. 
And so Firebirds, you can see everything that they're doing, and the place is clean, and it's nice, and, and you, you can see it all, and you just feel good about it. But the people at McDonald's, man, it, sometimes you just can't eat, eat there. You know, I won't eat, Nicole knows, I won't eat at a restaurant that's in a gas station. Okay, we won't get into that. There are some things that should not be with other things, right? There are just some things that shouldn't be there. And this is what this passage is about. The next thing this passage is about is about clean up after yourself. Clean up after yourself. You just clean up after yourself. Over and over again in 15, you have this clean up, clean up, clean up. You become unclean, you clean up. You become unclean, you clean up. You become unclean and you clean up. You clean up after yourself. And the Bible teaches us to clean up after ourselves. And then the next thing before we unpack all three of these is that details matter. Details matter. The way you live this life with details absolutely matter. And this is in Leviticus 15 and 14. So let me explain a little bit. Has anybody ever went camping? I have. Gone camping? I know you have. You don't have to raise your hand, Dad. But yeah, we've all been camping. Like, have we all been camping? This is an assumption. Have we all been camping? Have you really been camping? Like in a tent? Or is it something you pull behind your truck? Because those are two different experiences. Right? Two different experiences. Two totally different experiences. Well, Let's say that you're a couple and you have four kids. Let's just pretend that you have four kids. And in your car, oh yeah, you don't have to pretend. Um, in your car, you have two dogs. So you have two dogs, four kids. One kid is in diapers. There's a kid that's running around. He just learned to run around and he's doing there. And then you have a, a kindergartner and maybe a third grader. Let's just say that we have that. And we're going camping. We get to the camping place and the only spot that they have is the is the spot that's right beside of the restrooms and the shower area. How excited are you for that camping spot when you first pull up? Not too excited. Look, I've camped in a place like that before. It's not the best place to camp in the entire world, right beside of the, the place where you do all that kind of stuff. So you, you back up your car and, and you get out your tent and you don't take your tent and back it right up next to the restroom, right? On that campsite, you put that tent as far away as possible from that restroom area that you can get. And you try to make sure that all your food is not close to that particular area. You try to get some distance between you and the restroom as much as possible because you know what goes on in there and you just don't want to be a part of any of that. And you're hoping that the wind won't come your way. That, that is what you're hoping. Well, you get out of the car and you have, a, you have a picnic table and you've unloaded your car. You have your igloo cooler. Some of us have little ones, little coolers, and some of us just go all out. And we have the big one, right? The big cooler and we set it here. And let's say that um, while you're on the trip, uh, one of your kids gets poison ivy. So you're constantly telling them not to rub it. Do not scratch it. Don't rub it right? And then another one of your kids gets chiggers. So you're telling them, do not scratch. We're going to put some, you know, some fingernail polish on there when we get it so we can like suffocate the little animals inside of your skin. But, but don't scratch that. And then the other kid has sunburn. You don't put aloe on the chiggers. 
right? You put aloe on the side because everything is supposed to be in its spot. And then you have your little one that continuously has these dirty diapers. And because they're not eaten correctly, because nobody eats correctly when they camp. Nobody. I don't know how you could eat correctly when you camp. Nobody eats, right? Nobody eats correctly when you, when you camp. So you, this kid is having dirty diapers. And let's say that someone has prepared lunch and the lunch meat is out and the chips are out on the picnic table. And here comes the little kid with the dirty diaper by and it's like, oh, wow. And someone picks up the little kid and wonders, where can I change him? And goes all the way to the picnic table and lays him in the middle. No, you don't do that. Why? Because certain things should not be around other certain things. Can we all agree on that? So, <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> this is the part that I'm, I'm like, okay, okay. So what about your house? We're talking about a camping trip where some of that you can't help, but what about your home? Is there dirty items in your house that are not in the appropriate places? That you're not taking care of to clean? That you're not putting the dirty clothes in the dirty hamper and then into the washer? You're not cleaning the dishes in your sink? You're leaving nastiness all the way around your house. Now let me be clear here. I am not talking about OCD where everything in the house has to be in its place. That's not what the scripture is talking about. The scripture is talking about uncleanness that causes other stuff in your home to happen that would create an environment where you are not healthy. So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Philip, that isn't in Leviticus chapter 15. And I would have to tell you, in honesty, it's not. It's in chapter 14. <laughs> Check this out. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession, then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest. There seems to me, uh, there seems to, me to be some case of disease in my house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes in to examine the disease. I want you to notice they empty the house. Why do they empty the house? So that the mold can't get on it? Or because something needs to get out of the house so the problem can be taken care of. So it continues. And afterward, the priest shall go in to see the house, and he shall examine the disease. And if the disease is in the walls of the house, or the greenish or reddish spots, and if it appears to be deeper than the surface, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. And if the disease has spread into the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take out the stones in which the disease and throw them into an unclean space outside the city. So there's a couple of reasons why you would have mold and stuff that you needed to get rid of in your house and that it would spread to the walls. Number one, it's, it's moist in the house, right? All of you are thinking that. All of you are thinking, well, this is just mold. This is just kind of moisture. 
But that's not the only thing that causes this stuff. If you leave food in the corner somewhere, there's stuff that's going to start happening to that corner after a while. Uh, come on. It, just shake your head. You know it's true. So if you leave it. So if you have an area where you're watching like TV and you constantly never clean up after yourself and there's food everywhere, eventually that, that gets pretty nasty. Not only does it get nasty, but it's a signal for rodents and other animals to come into your house and bugs to come into your house. Are you tracking with me? And so you leave this stuff out. It's not just mold. It's stuff that's just left and unclean. And what God is saying here for all of us is he wants us to live in homes that are clean, that are healthy for us to breathe the air in. Now, let me be clear. This does not mean that you're OCD and you have to have everything in each spot. That's not what this is talking about. You see, some people in the church have what is called toddlers. And if you think for a moment that you can clean up a room and keep it clean after a toddler has re-entered that room, you have lost your mind. Either you are not letting them come into that room or, or something, but they will come in after you've cleaned a room and totally mess it up. They'll pull things off the shelf, and that is what they're really supposed to do. That's when they're healthy. And I'll tell you this, there comes a day where you miss the toddler coming to your room and taking all that stuff out and you having to clean it up. Is everybody with me in the room because you're really quiet? Maybe it's because you're thinking, what in my house do I need to clean up? Or you're thinking, my husband has told me this over and over again, or my wife has told me this over and over again. Maybe that's what you're thinking. But the Bible says and teaches us that if there's stuff that's dirty in your house, you need to take care of it and you need to clean it. It's better for your health. It's better for your environment. It doesn't mean that it has to be spotless, a picture-perfect house. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that it does have to be clean. And so it's very practical, isn't it? Very practical. So deep weeds started in chapter 11 with food. You, you, you eat this food, you don't eat this food, right? And then we went to chapter 12, which talked about childbirth and the beauty of childbirth and the specialness of that whole process, right? And the difference between guys and girls. It, it was really a, a brilliant chapter, as if God has never wrote anything brilliant in the rest of Scripture. But it's, it's really an eye-opening chapter. And then we talked about skin diseases, and here we're talking about just ordinary life stuff, what's clean and what's not clean. Now, in Leviticus chapter 15, verse 31, it does say these words. It says, um, thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. That particular verse is a throwback to chapter 10, verse 10 where um, two of Aaron's sons came in and they presented unholy fire. I'm not going to unpack that today. That's coming in the next two. But it also pushes us to the future, to a future tabernacle. What we have learned about the tabernacle in the Old Testament is that it is a replica of the tabernacle in heaven. So this points us to heaven. And this tells us that nothing that is defiled can enter into heaven. Nothing at all. 
Well, you look through that list and the first stop is food. Well, we're going to eat in heaven. Well, I have a couple questions about that. I'm good with no skin diseases and, and nothing growing stuff in the house and nothing getting dirty and you no longer have to do laundry. Isn't that an added bonus to heaven? You no longer have to do laundry. You no longer have to keep your house clean. It's just great. It's an added bonus. But this food thing, because of my original illustration, you eat food, it goes through your body. So how, how does that work? And the only thing I can come up with in heaven is that when you're in heaven, you eat the right amount of food, and maybe that stuff just doesn't happen. Can you imagine a world where you never eat too much? Some of you are thinking, I don't think that would be a lot of fun, right? Where, where you just eat enough and it processes in your body absolutely correctly. I don't know. But what I do know is if the process happens, it's going to be some type of clean thing that God has put into place. That leads me to this. There's a song that I love. I love this song. I've loved it for a long time. David Crowder introduced me to it, and then I've looked for different versions of it through the years, and I absolutely love this song. And it's called, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, But Nobody Wants to Die. Well, that has been on my mind a little bit. And everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And that song, the first verse of that song talks about Hezekiah, how he prayed and he prayed and he prayed, and God granted him 15 more years of life, right? And so I thought, wow, that, that's a pretty significant answer to prayer. And I do believe that you and I both want to go to heaven, but we're really not that excited about dying. We don't want to say that because we have a very romantic sort of faith in heaven and going there. We, we romanticize it a lot, but if we had the opportunity to die in the next five minutes, we'd say, wait a minute, I don't know if I, I really want to die. I don't, I don't know if I really, I don't know if I really want to go there. I mean, do I really want to go there? Because you have to die in order to go there. And there's, what our thought is, there are things in this life that we still want to do and participate in. Would you not agree with that? Everybody in this room, me included, there's things in this life I want to participate. There's things I want to see my kids do. There's things I want other to see the church do. There's just things I want to be a part of. I, I don't want to, I want to, I want to just kind of stay right here. So I want to go to heaven. But, but then what happens is if we chapter 13 it, like God gives us a diagnosis where we're sick, then all of a sudden, we do everything in our power to stay alive. I'm not seeing that there's anything wrong with that. But we're not willing for that moment that we have the diagnosis to lead us in a, on a pathway to where we die. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. The second verse of that song bothered me when I first started listening to it. The second verse of that song says, Jesus prayed in the garden because Jesus didn't want to die. Now, I didn't like that too much, and so I started thinking about it. Jesus, the perfect man, did not want to die. It's true, he didn't. He prayed in the garden, Father, let this cup pass from me, 
And if the father had granted that request, theologically and naturally, Jesus Christ would have continued to live and be in the same body he was then in the garden today. He was eternal. He was not going to die. He had not sinned. He was the perfect, spotless man of God and had eternal life already. Right? So he's praying in the garden that he doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to die. And I thought about that a little bit. It is natural for you and me to not want to die. And to be honest with you, it's okay. We are designed with the thought of eternal life inside our hearts. We know that we are eternal beings. We know that we are not supposed to experience death. That death is the result of a fallen world. That death is the result of sin. That death is a punishment for that sin. And we know that when we are originally created, Inside of us, we already know, written on our hearts, that we were not supposed to experience death. And so everybody in the world is not excited about dying one day. We will cope with someone else dying, but we don't want to be the ones laying in the casket. We don't want to be the ones laying in the bed with the people around us. We don't want that. And Jesus felt the same way. And to have that feeling is not only to be human, but is to also recognize that death was not supposed to be a part of mankind's, mankind's story. Isn't that beautiful? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And so Jesus didn't want to die, but this is what he said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And if this is the time that you want me to go, then this is the time that I will follow and I will gladly walk through the door of death. And I am so glad that he did. I'm so glad that the father said, no, you're going to keep this cup because he died and rose the third day. And that is why you and I have salvation. And we can be redeemed. It's a beautiful picture. So it's okay to say, Lord, I don't want to die. But what we can't do is fear death. We can't fear death. It's okay to say, I want to stay here a little while longer. It's okay to say, I want to experience some more things here. It's okay that I don't want to go through the door of death. I don't want want to experience that. That's okay. But what's not okay is to say, I fear death. And out of fear, we do everything in our power to stay here. That is not what we're supposed to be doing. We are supposed to be living in faith and saying, no, I don't want to die. But Lord, if I die in the next 10 minutes, may your will be done in heaven and on earth. Um, the old preacher used to say in the revivals at Tabernacle Baptist Church, he used to say, once you get to heaven, you'll be glad you're there and you won't want to come back. But right now, we don't want to die. We want to experience some things here and then go. But don't fear death. To fear death is a sin. But to look forward to it as a doorway into another world is not a sin. And to not want to die is just fine. Just don't make your reason because I fear death. Everybody with me? 
So one day we're going to die, get to heaven. There'll be no cleaning of the house, no washing of the dishes, no rainbow vacuum cleaners. In fact, the rainbow vacuum cleaners is a promise of no vacuum cleaners in heaven. <laughs> That's what I think. It's just going to be a good day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day that you've given us. We thank you for this uh, message from uh, Leviticus that you have and the richness of this text. But to be honest, up until a study for all of this, I had totally missed. And we thank you, Father, for caring enough to show us the truths here. I also want to say, Father, as I did in the first service, it is amazing to me that you are not only concerned about people disobeying you, but you're also concerned about the little details of our life because your heart's desire is, first of all, to save us, but second of all, for us to live a life here in abundance. And the details matter in that. So I pray, Father, that you'll help us focus on the details as you have. I pray, Father, that you'll help us focus on the things that we need to take care of sin-wise in our life to get those out of our life pray that you'll help us focus on you and your guidance and what your Bible says uh, concerning how to live in this fallen world. So we love you, and we ask all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm up here up front to pray with you if you need it. If you want to join the church, I'll be glad to present you to the congregation.